Welcome to the American Reformer Podcast, promoting a vigorous Christian approach to the cultural challenges of our day and rooted in the rich tradition of Protestant social and political thought. Hosted by Josh Abitoy and Ben Dunson. Hello, friends. This is the American Reformer Podcast. You've got Josh Abitoy, the executive director, and you've got Ben Dunson, our editor-in-chief. We are here to argue about all things Protestant and political and cultural. Um, Today, we've got a a great lineup. Uh, Ben has come to the show with a bit of a bee in his bonnet um, over uh, the the discourse that we've been having in the last week um, on public education, the state of the schools today, um, what Christians ought to be doing with their children relative to those schools, and then shifting gears a little bit and moving over to higher ed and talking about um, some reform efforts that are going on in higher ed that are worthy of your attention and I think will be of great interest. Um, ben, you want to say a word before we get things kicked off? Yeah, sure. Um, what, what prompted me in this was um, seeing uh, what everyone was saying about the uh, the debate in the uh, Gospel Coalition about whether people should send their their kids to public school, and um, and so that got me thinking about this. You know, it's a it's a hot topic, um, but it's been something people have been talking about a lot lately. Uh, you uh, you know the details of that debate, Josh. Um, could you tell us what what people were saying in that? Yeah, my understanding was that there was a um, one of these good faith debates about whether parents should send their kids to um, public schools. And I, I think the the part that I saw the most commentary was this assertion by um, one of the lecturers, Jen Wilkins, which was um, basically to the effect that, um, you know, that you, one's children um, can be salt and light um, in, in a public school, um, I guess, to put to, to probably frame the argument in the most uh, strongest way possible. Um, you know, the idea would be, you know, uh, having your kids in a school is maintaining connections with the community. It's, um, it's showing a concern for the common good and not just the good of your own children. Um, and, uh, you know, and then, and then I think unavoidably there's a bit of a, um, a social justice element to it, which is, you know, something to the effect of, um, you know, we don't want privileged, uh, parents to, uh, take all their kids out of the public schools, then, you know, leaving only the um, only leaving those with broken homes or from lower socioeconomic status in the public schools, um, you know. And so, in other words, I, th- I think that her contention was, you know, that Christians ought to stay at maximally invested in public schools, both, you know, at the, at the school board level, but then also at the, you know, sending their own kids there. Um, right. Right. Yeah. Well, what what do you uh, think about that? Well, um, I think that there's, yeah, a couple things. Um, so it, it's great to be plugged into a community of any sort, uh, but uh, there's, uh, you know, those standards will vary, but there's a red line in any community where you say, you know, the conditions are now such that I must withdraw or my children must withdraw, right? Um, yeah. A public school, um, you know, there's such a red line, and it seems pretty clear to me that we've crossed it. Um, and and really, what that means is, you know, you've gotten to a stage where, um, 
you know, the, your kids being in public school are likely to be exposed to uh, to harm, to moral, um, to moral harm that, uh, you know, it's that, that can't simply be sort of uh, nuanced over the nights and weekends when you have a little time with them. But it's 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 potential harm that uh, can can, you know, last a very long time and helps to shape their their moral character. Um, but but more fundamentally, even than that, I think is, you know, who is a parent's primary duty to um, and I think that, um, you know, uh, some people call it principle of subsidiarity. Um, you could call it uh, sphere sovereignty, a slightly different conception. But a lot of different Christians have had this basic instinct that, um, you know, that, uh, that, that people, human beings have to focus their capacity to care and they have to prioritize it. And I think it's also probably pretty a basic fundamental across a lot of different Christian writers that, that Christians who have children um, in some ways have the discipleship of their children as their primary mission field. Um, it's the area where there's the highest sort of return on investment, right? You can't stop, you, you, you know, you can't control the world out there. You can't force an adult to stop and hear the gospel and receive it, but you can, um, at a minimum, you know, ensure that your kids grow up, you know, knowing the basics of the Christian faith, knowing the Bible, having some moral character formation um, in a way that will, um, I think God normally uses as a means of uh, pre-preparation for, for their salvation. And again, um, maybe, you know, uh, different Christian traditions, you know, Presbyterians and Baptists may have some slightly different views on the particulars of how that works out. But at, at the high level, I think they're all unified at, at, at that basic um, description. And so, you know, when you're looking at it, um, you, you know, you don't weigh the, a Christian parent should not weigh the good of uh, the, the neighbor kid, the same as the good of their own kid. They, th that would actually be deficient. That would be disordered. Like they should, prioritize the moral formation, education, and all the rest of their own children first. Um, yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, yeah and, and then I think that that principle um, is is perhaps somewhat called into question. And the final thing I'd say is, you know, there's been a lot of, um, I, I mean, there's this has been a very popular sort of lefty trope for like 30 years, you know, that um, you're a bad person if you take your kids out of public school. Like you as a parent have a duty to help redistribute privilege. And, you know, you sending your kid to the crappy school down the street is helping to redistribute privilege. Um, and, and I think it's hard for me to not see a little bit of that trope making its way into sort of uh, Christian wrappings. Um, so actually, you know, I tweet a lot. I, I tweeted about this. I, I, you know, said something to the effect of, you know, what I'm gathering here is that, you know, Christian parents have an obligation to, um, you know, to uh, th they need to be mindful of the ways that they're discipling their children, and it's perpetuating structures of oppression or something like that. Um, <laughs> yeah. You, you know, I, I, and I think, right? I mean, I, because I, I do think, like, you know, we can't let we can't let trendy packaging around social justice um, distract from the affirmative good that it is. I mean, we we want we want parents who are primarily um, incented and interested in, in the in the holistic, healthy formation of their children. 
And when they're the ones that are primarily feeling the responsibility for that, oftentimes that's when it will be best accomplished, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah. And it's, it's leading to an equality of the lowest common denominator anyway. It's not... Um, it's not as if it's raising everyone up to a high level. It's uh, right. it's just bringing everyone down to the lowest possible level. Uh, and the moral environment right now is so insane. Uh, the, one of the, the things when people start arguing about their kids going out and being salt and light that I often think is they're, they're treating their kids as if they are adult missionaries almost, you know, who've, yeah. who've gone to seminary or who've been trained in the scriptures. You know, I hope, I hope we are all training our kids in the scriptures and, and to love the Lord, but still they're children. They're not, they're not equipped for that. They, they can't be, they're not ready for, for that. That's not even their responsibility before the Lord uh, to, to go out and be missionaries. Um, and it's almost, it's almost always the other way around, especially today. They're being, they're being catechized by a a very hostile and, and godless world. You hear about the percentages right now of of children in the schools that are identifying as gay or as trans. You know, I'm hearing numbers from anywhere from something like twenty to to fifty percent, and um, and it's this intense pressure. You're 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 cool if that's what you are. If you're not, then you're not, and um, all this pressure to, to tell these children, oh, of course you're gay, of course you're trans. Um, I mean, you think it can't get any worse. I just today heard about a school in in the Dallas area. So this is actually on the outskirts of Dallas where it's it's a lot more conservative. I mean, it, it, it wasn't that long ago that it was pretty rural. And I mean, it's going gonna, it's gonna to sound almost impossible, but I was told that there are furries, you know, uh, don't look this up if you don't know what this is, because you, you don't want to. But it's 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 people who pretend to be um, animals. And it's not even close to as innocent as that might sound, because it's it, it with in, in the adult world, it's got a very uh, depraved sexual element to it. And in this school, elementary school, there are kids who are saying, I'm a furry, I'm an animal. They are sitting in the back of the room on the floor in kitty litter, licking themselves during class, uh, and they're being they're being accommodated. Um, I mean, they're they're literally in our in our world. There is no limit to how far you can go because we've completely abandoned the idea of there being any sort of stable human nature that that derives from God. You take that boundary out, and I mean, how far can you go? And we're going to send we're going to send kids into that and this intense social pressure on them. And we're telling them, you have to go and you have to go and convert them. You have to go and change them. That's not even their responsibility. Um, you know, are, are, are the parents that are saying that are they going into their jobs and just boldly uh, proclaiming Christ um, no matter the consequences? I, I just that seems kind of insane to me. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and, um, sorry, I've got to riff on this a little bit more. Yeah. The, I mean, education, you know, the Greek word is paideia, you know, it means, it, it really means enculturation. And one intrinsic concept carried here is that you're like, it's a process of being 
enculturated, prepared for membership of a particular culture. You're passing on a particular corpus of knowledge that you think is worthy for the next generation to know. And, um, you know, to, let's be clear, and maybe this is getting a little bit more radical, but I mean, what kind of what we're saying is that um, a, a truly public school or common school amongst all members of our society right now, the predominant culture is not going to be one that Christians want to enculturate into. It's a degenerate culture. It's one that's largely aimed at, at destroying Western civilization and the vestiges of Christianity and Western civilization. So, yeah. you know, th there's a, there's a huge, there's, there's certainly the aspects of avoiding moral harm or, or, you know, but, but this isn't merely, um, this isn't merely about trying to avoid the evil and playing defensively. It's also, you know, the, the whole other question here is what's the missed opportunity? What are your kids not learning? You know, you know, if they're spending eight hours a day, you know, reading what's probably, you know, relatively trite and junk in many cases when, um, you know, they could be reading, you know, classics of like Western civilization and getting enculturated into it like an actual worthy culture. And that is a little bit more radical because like if you adopt that posture, I mean, you are somewhat saying Christians, you have an obligation to develop an alternative culture. But I do think that's, I mean, that that's, that's bound up in what it means to disciple children, I think. Yeah. Yeah. And, and since the sixties, at least, um, they've gone into a public school where they're told, you know, whether God exists or not, that's, you know, that's not our business, but you have to come in and you have to operate as if there is no God. You can't talk about God. You can't, you can't, uh, you can't have any sort of assumptions that uh, depend on God. So we just have to be public atheists in, in, uh, in principle, uh, whether or not you're a Christian. Um, how, how, can a, how can a Christian do that? How can a child go in and do that without being harmed? You know, I'm not, I'm not in principle opposed to a common school. Uh, mm -hmm. I, I, don't, I don't take the, uh, the more you know, intense libertarian view that, that it's just in principle wrong. Um, and, you know, I even think back on my own, I, I was public educated my whole life. Uh, my elementary school, small town in Oklahoma, uh, I can still remember assemblies where uh, I'm not sure that they could get away with this today, but the, the principal was talking about God very openly and, and not just even generically, but he was talking about the Christian God, uh, the mm -hmm. true God. Uh, and he, he didn't feel any sort of sense that, that, that he was going to be in trouble for doing that. You know, it was very open. Every, most people were at least outwardly Christian. Uh, I mean, that was even the, true for me all the way through high school. You, you kind of had this sense that almost all your teachers are Christian, um, that's sort of supportive of Christianity. But even there, 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 there was that line, you know, you don't, you can't talk about Christian truth because that's, that's off limits. It doesn't have to be that way. But it, it has developed that way since various court cases in the 60s and things. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I think, I think Christians um, it, at, at this point, they have, they have to recognize. I don't, I don't really see how they cannot, they cannot see how, how almost inevitably their children are going to be damaged from that. 
um, in, in the current moral environment. I just, it, it baffles me. Yeah, well, and this ties into a topic I hope we get to, which is higher education and the way that um, the, the I don't want to do a frontal assault on teachers, but here goes, I guess. Um, the politics of the institutions that are churning out teachers for these schools all over the country, the, the politics and values of the curriculum companies, um, of the professional associations, they're, they're all they're all sort of uh, rotten to the core in, a, in very fundamental ways. And, and so, um, yeah, I mean, it, 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 uh, you might think, you might think you're safe, uh, you know, if you're out in the country and your principal goes to church with you, but uh, it's very likely that, you know, throughout the ranks of, of your school, even the one that you hope is safe, there's uh, there's just a lot of, uh, a lot of bad being done. And, and then, you know, going back to the earlier point, um, even if even if the even if you are in one of those very rare schools out in the country where prayers are still had and where you know kids are not exposed to the kind of the worst excesses of the moral revolution, um, you know they're probably still learning a very um, just poor curriculum relative to what they could be learning at a Christian school or homeschool or what have you. Yeah, no, you're right. I mean, the, the, the teachers' colleges are, they're completely taken over by, by um, damaging ideology, woke ideology. Um, you know, I think even, even, if, even if, you, if you don't want to support public education or if you don't send your kids to public schools, um, one thing I've thought, though, is that we, we probably do have a vested interest in trying to help people who are trying to take over school boards and things like that. There, there, there seem to be some things that that can be done. I, I honestly don't know how much can be done. I think I, I hear sometimes in in in, in the community, um, uh, people who are trying to take over these school boards and, and they're talking about all the, the explicit sexual books in the library and things like that. And I think even if they're successful, they um, they're probably, it's going to be like removing some books from the library. Like that's so far from actually dealing with the root of this, that the teachers' colleges that that license the teachers, that um, the, like you said, the curriculum development, all of that. But nonetheless, I mean, I I do want to help them. I do want to support them. I mean, even even if most evangelical Christians take their kids out of public schools, even if conservative Catholics take their kids out of public schools, it's, it's probably still the case that the majority of our fellow citizens, uh, especially future voters. Uh, lawmakers, judges, you know, it's kind of terrifying when you start, start thinking about it. Uh, they're going to be going through the public school system. And mm-hmm. um, we, we have a vested interest in <laughs> making sure that it's as good as it can be. But I, I, I can't see really anymore how to how to stick with that system. Well, I mean, you know, Texas also, I mean, let's be clear, like, you know, educational reform is advancing very quickly. Texas is passing it this this session. Um we, uh, you know, I think a, a, another just a variable here um, is I think it's an interesting question for churches is, you know, uh, do, if, if you've got a budget surplus, um, you know, would, would you consider uh, using some of that to help launch a Christian school that meets in your church or what have you? You know, um, there may be different views on the appropriateness of a church running the school per se um, in different denominations, but 
but it, but do you view that as a mission field, like launching a Christian school in your community? Because that's that all of a sudden became a lot more financially feasible. Um, yeah, in a lot of areas across the country. So, yeah, and you know, there's a lot more demand. I know that uh, I'm hearing that across the board. Um, and it's interesting because I, I I know a good number of people who have been. I mean, they've gone through public school. That you know, they they thought their kids would all would all go through public school. They were very supportive of public school, uh, and even they now are pulling their kids out. Uh, they just they they can't handle it. Right, I think rightly so. And and they're looking for options. But I know a lot of them. They they look around. They say, well, it's it's pretty expensive, or the Christian schools are really far away. So I I get the sense that there's a lot of demand for that, mm-hmm. um, and uh, that that could be really beneficial. I think um, I think there's probably not actually enough spaces. I'm hearing about a good number of, of people that are being turned away because there's just not enough um, enough spaces. So uh, you, you mentioned uh, you mentioned the legislature, um, and that kind of uh, brings us into some of the stuff they're doing with higher ed as well um, in Texas, in Florida. Um, we, we've had Scott Yenner uh, write for American Reformer on higher ed reform. He wrote an article called Higher Ed Reform in Red States. Uh, very, very good article. And, um, and it was very practical too. It even included draft legislation um, that, that could be used in uh, this area. You've, you've done a lot of thinking about about this, especially with regard to diversity, equity, and inclusion uh, in, in higher ed. Um, tell, tell us about some of the stuff you've been seeing. Yeah, I mean, well, DEI has been promulgated by outlets like Harvard Business Review and, um, you know, basically prominent mainstream outlets as sort of like a neutral um you know, set of tools that will help an institution be welcoming to all of its constituents, be giving it the best framing, right? Um, but you know, I mean, it, it you know, obviously, it, it um, becomes a vehicle for sort of radical uh, critical theory and and racial ideologies. Um, you know, from speaking from the corporate world, um, there's been in the last three years a wave of hirings of DEI uh, C-suite executives who um, make very strong salaries. And essentially, um, their job is to look around the business or the institution and find problems. That's how they justify their continued uh, employment and high salary. Uh, So, you know, this has been in the media. It's been, you know, people have commented on um, some of the really uh, kind of astronomical salaries these officers uh, sometimes get. Uh, and uh, yeah, you know, and, and it perhaps I think probably everybody knows all about that, that gig. But the thing that's surprising is how much DEI has wormed its way into um, institutions that deploy the public funds of conservative states. And that yeah. th- th- it's 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 in a lot of places. Um, I was talking about this this morning. Um, when you pay your utility bill, you're paying a little bit of a woke tax uh, uh, because uh, you're probably underwriting, uh, you know, woke practices of corporations that are getting passed into the rates and the electric costs that you pay at the meter. 
Um, that's a pretty small thing, uh, relatively. Um, but uh, our, yeah, our friend Scott Yenner has been working with state legislatures in, in uh, Florida and Texas on, you know, DEI offices in, in major public universities. And, and, you know, some of his findings have been pretty shocking. I mean, he details some of these. Also, you guys need to be following Scott Yenner on Twitter if you're not, uh, because he's, I mean, he's kind of like, you know, he's on the Chris Rufro trajectory. He's just dropping exposés and videos week after week of um, very radical ideology in uh, red state universities. Ben, including your beloved yeah. alma mater. Uh, yeah. Anything yeah, that Texas A&M. You there? <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, yeah, he's been, he's been doing a lot on, on Texas A&M. Um, and uh, that's uh, very disturbing to me. Uh, you know, everyone thinks of A&M as, as just a, a bastion of conservatism. I, I don't know what the student body would be like, uh, although my my wife was telling me that uh, she was listening to to Scott on uh, Luke Macias's podcast, and and he was saying that the um, the vote for governor um, in um, in College Station that it was if something like seventy two percent went for Beto. Wow. Um, and uh, so I don't know exactly how that will break down as far as as students voting, but it, it seemed like it was actually a very, very high percentage of of even uh, A&M students. But you've, you've, you've got the, the faculty, which is overwhelmingly left leaning in all colleges, even Texas A&M. Um, and uh, they, they um, the, well, he, he Scott has these. Um, these um, audio and video of administrators, they're showing uh, very clearly how they're trying to take steps to circumvent um, things that Governor Abbott's doing to um, to, to tackle some of this. Um, and so I was, I was shocked to see even A&M uh, is, uh, which some people think of as, a, as practically like a Christian college. At least at least they did when I when I was there uh, 20 years ago. So it's everywhere. You, you can't get away from this. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's just, um, it's very insidious. I mean, the way, you know, Scott, some of what Scott documents at, at A&M is just, uh, it's, it's pretty shocking stuff. Um, I mean, in other words, you know, oftentimes the DEI departments are using policies and, um, to sort of evade, uh, state, you know, legislation, um, like on, you know, um, racial quotas and hiring and, and all, all the, all the like, um, but, uh, but yeah, the, the part, you know, the bigger project and, you know, we can put the A&M campaign into context with, um, what's going on at the new college in Florida. But I think it's a very happy development is, you know, very smart, uh, people who love education and universities are finally calling out the fact that the emperor has no clothes. Like these, these are, um, you know, the, the colleges don't become liberal and extremely radical just because that's what smart people believe or, or whatever, right? They they form like very particular, um, you know, sort of social circles. They basically make these institutions intolerable to a lot of really smart, capable people who decide to go into business or go into something else and kind of leave that world behind because they find it intolerable. And 
the fact that, um, you know, colleges in red states have been allowed for a long time to have free reign and kind of take public money and teach people to hate their state, hate the values of the people who live there. It, it's been going on for a long time and it's finally coming to an end, it seems. Um, you know, what's going on at New College is, is uh, incredibly inspiring. I mean, it needed to happen a long time ago, but I mean, turn over the board, turn over the administration. And then actually, the more exciting part, build an institution that shows that can be a model to a lot of other states. Yeah, you, you see um, with New College, I think that, you know, like so, so we like to talk about um, a Protestant approach to politics at American Reformer and, and talk about what the Apostle Paul says in, in Romans 13, uh, that the, the power of the state should be used for good. Um, that's apparently an utterly shocking idea to a lot of Christians, um, and, and they they tend to uh, to hear something about like terrifying authoritarianism, and you know there's a lot of people that are that are acting as if you even say that let's use the power of the state to do good in higher education, that that's some sort of uh, proto fascist authoritarianism something like that. But the, the example of New College is is a is a perfect example of how something can actually be done uh, within our current system. Even um, this is not advocating uh, an overthrow of our government. This is uh, this is just simply something that's within the legitimate political uh, power of the states. Uh, most states, uh, the governors of most states, have a very uh, large degree of influence, if not just outright authority, to appoint regents. Uh, to state boards of education, to um, individual colleges such as New College, where you've got the the board that was changed um, with Governor DeSantis. You know that's that's um, that's taking concrete steps within our current Republican form of government uh, to to do something instead of yeah. just kind of sitting back and and complaining and and being terrified about how bad everything's getting. And, People are trying to do something, and they're they're going within the the system that exists as it is now. And so far, it looks like they they're actually succeeding. Yeah, and it's it's I mean, it does generate a ton of backlash. It's perceived as extremely radical just because it's basically a departure from you know previously shared norms, yeah. um, which is interesting. I mean, it's not legally controversial, right? It's but it's no. politically controversial, and and. Um, you know, uh, yeah, it's it's fascinating. Um, I, I think that, you know, I think it's a good development overall is that, you know, that um, in many places, uh, Republican politicians are realizing, hey, you know, um, you know, the norms, uh, you know, they were they were great. Um, you know, they were great for a time when society had high consensus around certain questions. But um that's that's what they are. They're norms, and uh, you know, a new context is going to require new norms. Um, yeah, for, for yeah, people on the right, people on the right have, have for so long just sat back and, and been steamrolled for so long that it it seems radical for them to just yeah. simply do something and try to yeah. govern. You know, right. I mean, what what is this other than governing for the good of the nation? I mean, that's all it is. Yep. Um, but it just hasn't been done. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's, 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 it's encouraging to me. Um, I, I hope they, I hope they're successful there. I, I hope that um, what Scott's doing both in Florida and in Texas also bears uh, good fruit. Um, it seems like, seems like it, it can, it's, it's going to be an uphill battle for sure. Um, but it's encouraging. Yeah. And I think, I mean, I, for, for our listeners who are situated in, you know, states other than Texas and Florida, I mean, there's, there's all kinds of low hanging fruit. And I think this will become a political issue and, you know, and you can help make it so by um, talking to the politicians in your circles, um, you know, organizing locally, but the, the, I mean, you really, you kind of need to be looking at the flagship public universities in your state and kind of asking um, what are they doing with public money? Like what, what, how are they deploying that for the formation of primarily uh, the citizens of our state? And you, you know, when you start looking, you're going to be shocked and, you know, you just need to realize um, all of, you know, these institutions receive public funds and so they are entirely susceptible to the political will of the state. Um, maybe there's not a law in the books. Well, you can go get a new law written. Um, the, the stakes are high. We need to be able to um, reconsider the status quo and be willing to uh, rewrite laws if need be. Um, but, you know, these states, these, these public universities do not have like some sort of a legal right or permanent entitlement to the public fisc um, if they continue to flout the, the political will of a particular state. Yeah. Now there, there are things that can be done. And, and I mean, some, some places like where I am in, in Collin County in, in Texas, the, the Collin County community college system is, is huge. I mean, it's, um, it's practically a, a state university in its own right. Um, and, and that's something that you can, you can focus on. You can go to the, the board meetings for things like that. Uh, and that's a, that's a local issue. Uh, you're going to have a, a much greater chance of, of having some sort of impact on that locally than, than anything on the, on the national level, but even, even on the state level, there's a, there's a lot that can be done if, if there's, if there's enough pressure put on governors in red states, um, I think they might feel compelled to act. Yep. Yeah. Well, um, anything else you've got, Josh, on, on education? Any, any thoughts? Well, um, I, I, I'll give my – people probably know I, I love Christian higher education. Um, I went to a Christian college myself. Um, I, I think for my final word, what I would just say is reshaping these public universities does also actually require very strong Christian higher education. Um, because, the, you know, there's a severe uh, lack of a conservative bench uh, to fill out administrations and faculty at public universities. And so the, the Christian higher ed actually has a very important role to play in this whole ecosystem um, in terms of preparing and training future leaders of uh, reshaped public universities. And also, you know, there's natural partnerships down, down the road as well. Um, you know, a place like Hillsdale or, or New St. Andrews or what have you could very easily, you know, 
develop partnerships with New College. And, and as, you know, as, as these uh, public universities are reformed, um, then they're going to be able to, in partnership, start to develop some scale in knowledge production and common projects amongst uh, scholars that can actually, you know, create create intellectual projects that are, uh, you know, optimistic and inspiring and actually moving the ball forward and helping helping society. So, yeah, and that, I mean that's that brings up something we'll have to talk about another time, just in its own right, is how few Christian colleges there are that haven't succumbed to the DEI and, and woke agenda as well. Uh, we're going to have to deal with that before we can even uh, get to uh, what you're talking about. Yep. Yeah. Well, thanks everyone for listening. Uh, this has been the American Reformer podcast, uh, and we will see you next time. Thank you, everyone. Goodbye. Thank you for listening to the American Reformer podcast. Make sure to visit us online at AmericanReformer.org. That's AmericanReformer.org. You can also follow us on Facebook and on Twitter at AMReformer. <laughs>